So here we are, end of season four. And once again, the battle against recurring characters continues. See, Arroya, the Bajoran woman, was actually supposed to be a recurring guest character and was going to be in several episodes after this one. It's funny, I saw her and I'm like, wow, she looks really familiar. It took me a while to recognize her. She's Vanessa from way back in TNG Season 2, um, The Royale. The, the she played a blonde ditz in that episode, but I, I just commented. I was like, she looks really familiar. Anyways, <laughs> I point this out because I am both for and against this idea. I'm against it because I, I like recurring characters. I'm for it because I like the idea of getting rid of someone who was only supposed to be there for romance because that was their intent. Okay, Odo's human. Let's throw him a love interest. Bam. I gotta be honest, I'm surprised more women aren't throwing themselves at Odo, to be completely blunt. As I like to say, he is a bit of a catch. He is certainly has his foibles, but you can't tell me that there's not a lot appealing about his personality and his perspective. Anyways. So she was supposed to come back, she's not. I do like how Garak is kind of trying to continue the development of Odo's for lack of a better way to put it, social interaction. Everything that Odo says makes it very clear that he's not against the idea of romance, obviously. Ignoring the fact that he was interested in Kira, he also had something approaching romance, romantic interest in Moxana. So you can't tell me he doesn't want the idea of actually becoming part of some kind of societal link with someone on a romantic level, because he obviously does. So he just basically comes up with party lines to argue with Garrick as to why, no, I don't want to be part of this. I don't become a slave to your humanoid, blah, blah, blah. That's all bullcrap. And of course, he, you know, can tell, because Garrick is an observant individual. And then he gets hurt, so, you know, we call in medical, and it's like, well... Then the episode really starts proper. I do like how there's no A or B plot this episode. I tend to think the heavier, stronger plot-centric episodes shouldn't have an A and a B plot. I've talked about this many times, so it's always gratifying to see it like this. I really like how Kira shows up. This is one of three parts of this episode where they kind of showcase Odo's perspective. Odo values friendship, obviously, and he values other people's co coordination, interaction, the teamwork, the familial thing. You know, he obviously values other people and his social interactions with them. Duh. But I bring this up because he doesn't—he doesn't like to be open about it. It's embarrassing, and I know that sounds so silly, but that's so understandable, isn't it? Just because I love you doesn't mean I want to proclaim it on the hilltops, right? Just because I enjoy your company doesn't mean I'm comfortable with stating that, especially around strangers. So instead, three times in this episode, people basically try to reach out to him in ways that are specific to him. Now, this serves two purposes. First of all, it's an insight into how Odo functions, which I just told you, and of course anybody watching this knows. But the second point is it shows that these people have become acclimated to him. That, to put it into simplistic terms, his friends know him. And they know how to show their concern in ways that he will appreciate. So, and I'll go ahead and just call all three out. First, Kira comes in with the criminal activities report. Nice touch, really, legitimately. Because she doesn't stay there to talk. She doesn't stay there to chat or say, I hope you're okay. He doesn't want that. He wants something to think about. He wants something to keep his mind occupied. And I gotta say, speaking as someone who has gone through some extremely severe illnesses in my life more than once, I'm completely with him on that. I don't know if that's true for everyone, of course, because, you know, I am only one person. But for me, 
oh my God, I don't know how I would have made it through certain aspects of my life if I didn't have my GBASP right there and Super Mario Brothers 3 to play on it because holy crap, I needed something to keep my mind occupied. So I'm with them on that. That, of course, leads to, well, the third one, actually, which is when Cisco says, tell you what, I'll allow you to come on this mission if you go and be a companion to Odo. Not friendship, not consideration, not care. We could all do that. What I want you to do is I want you to keep his mind occupied. Now, he doesn't say it that way, but that is what he means. And so... Garak goes and starts telling him all these stories about the past in half-truth and obfuscation so that Odo now has a puzzle. He can deduce, he can logic, he can think his way through it. He has something to keep his mind busy. It's actually quite touching in its own right. And I kind of like the idea that Garak would want to do that for Odo. I've always been one of those weird people who believes that there's a significant friendship or at least a bond that was created between the two after their own two-parter several episodes ago, or several, several, several episodes ago now. The second part is Quark. I'm going to run this station before you get back. Odo says, <laughs> Oh yeah, when I get back I'm going to run you ragged. And Quark just says very quietly, Then you are coming back. Very nice touch. Anyways, so, then Odo goes and, you know, tries to do deal with criminal justice. I get that Odo has a lot of pride. I really do. I just mentioned the shame aspect earlier. But I wonder why he didn't either take a team or send a team in his stead. It, honestly, the take a team would be more like, what, like likely to happen, because then he would have caught him, and if anything happened to him in his fragile state, you know, he would have been able to deal with it. Can I just say credit to René Bergenois, by the way, for this episode? I mean, the man's a good actor in general, and I've liked him in most things I've seen him in. But what I bring up here is there's two points in this episode where he had to put a lot of density in terms of his portrayal into a fairly short scene. The walk and the ejection from the pool. Both of those had to convey a huge amount of information visually b before the audience was simply told what was going on. The walk was great. You could just tell there's that sort of rigid determination. I don't need a crutch. I just need to do it. You know, I, I get that. And, of course, the idea of being humanoid for the first time, of having sensation, of having hunger, of having uh, sight, all of these uh, inputs are completely different from what he's used to, and just being totally overwhelmed by sight and smell and feeling and, hell, emotion, completely overwhelmed by it. He does a good job of portraying that as well. But I'll get more to that later. So they met, they main drop Mora here. Yay, continuity. He will, of course, show up later, but, of course... He, uh, Odo pulls out the obvious thing. If, if he, his data at your disposal can't help me, I don't think he can help me either. I think we have to go back to the founders. Which is funny, because as I pointed out, in, and it's in the script, and this is repeated on multiple sources, uh, it's in the script that when Weiyun was talking, the first Weiyun, was talking with Odo back in uh, To the Death, that's when he infected him with this virus. And I find that very funny, because it's right there in the dialogue, isn't it? How could you get me back to my people? Oh, you let me worry about how. Anywho. So. Uh, Garak wants on board. Quick aside, he makes this comment. Have you, you know, Starfleet should allow you to customize your uniforms a little bit. I kind of agree. In like a non-combat, non-military situation, like just for everyday use, they should be allowed a little bit of like leeway, just a little bit of customization. Just, just my opinion. 
you know, as long as it's still recognizably uniform and, you know, as long as you don't obscure the rank, the badge, or the color, I mean, why not, right? I, although in lore, it's, it's supposed to be mentioned that these uniforms are, like, super well-made. Like, they're supposed to be incredibly comfortable and durable and with, 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 with just, withstanding the elements, both hot and cold, significantly, you know, blah, 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 blah. I still think, you know, a little bit of fashion, right? I bring that up, though, as well, because I know this is a weird thing to bring up, but over on TNG, I don't actually remember the episode number, but it's the one where Ro, Ro Lauren, first shows up. The earring, right? And Riker, I mean, I'm going to be pissed at that episode when we get to it, but Riker just reads of the riot act over an earring. I've always kind of assumed that was just Riker being a dick, because Lord knows he can do that, but maybe Starfleet really is super stringent on what they allow their people to wear. I don't know, just food for thought. Anywho, so the uniqueness of this situation is actually enjoyable in its own right. And, you know, the female changing showing up, willing to take him and... It's just this whole thing. They they bring an entire fleet with them to take the Defiant, too, which actually brings up an interesting point. I know this sounds strange. Why, and I want your honest answer to this, why doesn't the female changeling just beam aboard, grab Odo, kill everyone, and leave? And take Odo back to the link with her? Because she could do that. To be 100% blunt, the Defiant and its crew were completely at her mercy. She was in no particular danger, and neither were her forces. They had all of the advantages there. So why didn't she? She also kind of presumes authority the whole time. It's wonderful, but of course she does. She's a founder. She's used to being the one who is in charge. Like, the actual in charge. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give my thoughts on this, because... Near as I can tell, it's probably two things kind of combined as to why she decided to go along with it. First is a strange sort of respect. Oh, not for the solids themselves, because solids don't matter. But you know what does matter? A fellow changeling. And these solids obviously care about Odo enough to go to tremendous risk to bring him here. They did their proper duty in service of a founder. And, he'd, and while Jemhead are expendable, you don't kill them just for frickin' cuz. You kill them if there's a reason to, or you spend them as necessary. In other words, there's no reason to pointlessly kill these people. They did their job, right? Second thought. Well, honestly, because one of the things we know about the founders is they tend to think long-term. Centuries range, right? What the hell threat does this Defiant have to them? None whatsoever. And they haven't really had a lot of reason to be pissed off at these people in any significant manner yet. So they're not a threat. They're totally irrelevant. Why bother? As I mentioned earlier, she has all of the cards. She's playing five-card draw, except no one else has a hand, and she has a royal flush in her hand, right? I mean, just to, to emphasize how much she overwhelmingly controls the situation. And it would it, it, the idea here is that she sees no need to do anything to them because they are absolutely not a threat to her. Anywho, <clears throat> having said that, she goes down, talks to Odo. <laughs> of course you had a choice. You could have chosen... Not, you know, to, to not, not side with the solid. But you decided to kill him. Which is funny, that's not quite 100% true, but, you know, whatever. Nevertheless, I find it funny. Because you can kind of tell in this episode how full of crap she really is. Because she comes across with this sort of polite air of, 
you know, no, no, we will be respectful, we will be diplomatic, there's no need for this, everything's okay. And yet, when it comes to anything that matters to her, namely the safety of the changelings, including an individual changeling, she doesn't try that at all, she is just orders. She says orders, because that's the natural order of things. You may now go in, Doctor, although do let him rest. An order, you know, just straight up. He goes along with it because, you know, it's what he wants anyways, but yikes. But I bring that up because she says a couple of things which I find interesting. First, she mentions how no changing may harm another is their most sacred law. Tribalism taken to its absolute extreme. You must not harm. You know, ape must not kill ape, as, as it's usually de uh, mentioned as. I bring that up because she mentions that that law has never been violated. Now, first of all, I call bull. Like, within the, the Dominion's reign, it probably hasn't been violated. But their species lives longer than that. They've been around for longer than that. You can't tell me that back in the day, changelings didn't go against other changelings. Also, for those of you who've played Star Trek Online, her comment about that being the most sacred law is even more amusing. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Second point. She then tells Odo, you know, Odo says, you know, he's just getting information from her, you know, I will go to be judged. If I don't go, what will happen to me? And she says in an incredibly calm voice, well, then you will die. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, <clears throat> then she goes out and Garrick manages to be like, hey, listen, is, is there any chance I'm wondering where the others are? And she says, oh, they're dead. No survivors. They're dead. You're dead. All of Cardassia is dead because they decided to go against us. Because again, tribalism taken to an extreme. The Dominion has the ability to recognize that different species and different organizations exist, but you can tell that from her perspective, from the perspective of the founder leadership, the Cardassian people have been flagged permanently as an enemy. I guarantee you, based on what th what, how things happen in the future, that they never intended to, let's say, be, make good on any of their deals with those people. Just, just saying. Um, <laughs> This was always a, an intent to go ahead and shut them down. And you'll notice, by the way, and I hate to spoil this, but I mean, really, it's coming up in like six episodes. She's lying to him. But what I really want to bring your attention to is how coldly and distantly she says this to him. Uh, wrong word, wrong word. Coldly and angrily. She is actually upset at him. Because he's a Cardassian. And the Cardassians tried to kill them, which makes, you kind of see, again, the lying mentality being taken to an extreme here. So then Garak is willing to attack the Founders. Question. Anger? Pragmatism? Both. <laughs> what I find most funny is he actually tries to convince Worf of it. It's a bit of a shame, because honestly, Worf is probably one of the least people to agree with that. Worf, like it or not, is the kind of guy who goes way out of his way, out of loyalty to individuals, in, in place of his duty. Like, I know he said, I am a Starfleet officer, I will do my job, but Worf has demonstrated many, many times that he values the individual over the job. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, just that that's his approach. So, them being dead and us being dead in service of this is what he considers to be unacceptable. Now, what's funny about that is I guarantee you with 100% certainty that if Worf was, was capable somehow, if like a situation was invented where Worf could lay down his life, just his own life, and end the Founder threat, he'd do it without hesitation but not over his friends and not without their consul consultation. He's not going to do this without saying, Captain, is this the job, right? It's just not his way. I think he spent too much time under Picard and probably Riker as well. So then they fight. Odo is pushed out as a human, specifically a human. 
You'll notice once again Dominion Cruelty as a subject. This actually came up back in... Uh, I can't remember. It was just the last episode. It was the not the last episode, the last episode. The disease episode. I can't think of the name of it. Uh, the Quickening. This just came up. How the Dominion, they won't just crush you. They want to make sure that you really suffer. Now, this, of course, explains how his face still has the old shape. They wanted him to know forever what he has lost and to have a permanent marker showing that you defied us and you are now bl blighted for doing so. Because, of course, to the Founders, what could possibly be worse than being a solid? Given all the talk and discussion they've had about becoming a shape and knowing a shape and the freedom and the linking and all that's gone. Everything a Founder values ripped away from Odo. But, of course, Odo isn't a Founder. He values other things as well. And that is the great irony of this punishment, and this will come up in future episodes as well, because Odo, obviously this is a horrible thing. It is designed to be. But this is not as cruel as it could have been, and there are many worse things they could have done to him. I bring this up because this is very important for the coming seasons. The Founders do not understand Odo. I've brought this up before. If, if we got rid of Kira, surely you'd be willing to come back to us, because clearly she's the only thing keeping you from us. Nope. They even bring that up in this episode. Yeah, she's going after Shakar. Why haven't you come back? Nope. They do not understand him at all. He is effectively alien to them, and that's important, because it's going to inform a lot of their decisions in the coming episodes. And by in the coming episodes, I mean it's actually going to be about another season before we really get there, but it, it, we're laying the groundwork here. I gotta say, though, just as a quick aside, even though I totally understand it, I would have had none of the makeup. I would have gotten rid of the makeup. If I was creating the show, I, I think having Rene Bergenois have his default face and his default acting and just showing that, maybe a little bit of makeup because, you know, he's got wrinkles going on, but just, just have him be there to kind of emphasize the pseudo-alien nature of it and, of course, to show how other people would react to him differently. I think there's some good story potential there, but anyways. So, of course, food. All of a sudden... This, Garrick makes this comment, I'm, I envy you, the ability to enjoy food for the first time. I'm actually kind of with Garrick on that one. I've, I've spoken a lot about food and its significance, both as far as an enjoyment factor and as far as a social interaction of good food should be shared. It's interesting to think about what it would be like to eat food for basically the first time. So then Odo insists, you know, I have to do my job. This is all I have left. I imagine Cisco of all people, would understand what it's like to have nothing left but your work, right? Anyways, so then Garon shows up, and oh my god, Garon's a changeling! <sighs> okay, minor spoilers, okay? Minor spoilers. If you're watching this with me, just chop off right now. I'm not going to bring out a spoiler thing, because this is really minor, because this is a spoiler for literally the next episode. But I do want to talk about this here, okay? Even when I first saw this episode, I didn't buy that Garon was a changeling. I looked at that and I was like, no. <laughs> no way. Because, and, and uh, this is probably arrogant, and I'm just going to say, this was definitely arrogant of me, but even as a, well, I wasn't a kid when this was coming out, but even in my, God, what was it, late teens? Whatever. Even in my teens, when this, when this episode was coming out, I felt like I had a little bit of a finger on the pulse of Klingon society in general, but most especially Gowron, because he was always such a fascinating character to me. Gowron, everything that Gowron's doing is very in character for Gowron. None of it is out of character for Gowron. None of it. And, spoiler, it's not Gowron, as we find out in the next episode. So, when I first saw this, I was like, nah, 
<laughs> no. Like, there's probably a Klingon infiltrator or whatever, but it's not him. Come on. I find this funny, though, because I mentioned this on several mailboard message lists, and they're all like, no, you're, you're crazy. This explains everything. This explains... I, I had a few people who were with me, and we had some interesting debates back and forth. I'm curious what you guys thought when you first saw this. But, getting more to my point, there's another reason that I don't think I ever cognated back in the day why I didn't buy this the first time I saw it. Because they spent 32 seconds trying to tell you that Gowron's a changeling. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but I want you to really think about that. Because it caught my attention this time, and I'm like, wow, that is really long. And I rewinded and timed out. Odo spends 32 seconds being like, oh my god, you don't understand. In the link, Garon is a change. I'm, I'm still doing it quicker than the actual episode does. 32 seconds is a long time for someone to exposit on just one point. So I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I don't buy it. But I suppose we'll see the conclusion of that next time. See you around, guys.